Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Real Life Real Estate. Excited to get podcast episode three in the books. We have a special guest here uh, ready to talk some economics. So if you're a numbers person or even if you're not, we're excited to have our friend here. I'm going to let Mr. Jim Archer introduce our special guest. I met James Kemper at South Plains College, where he is a renowned, notorious, famous economist. And so he now is an economics professor for South Plains College and Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. And so I thought it'd be a really great time on episode three. I mean, episode three, we wanted to make it three times as big as episode one to bring him in so that he could kind of talk a little bit about what is happening in our overall economy and how that is contributing to what's happening specifically in West Texas real estate. So James, we're glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Jim. This is exciting. And there's a lot going on, so we got a lot to talk about. Okay. So some of the things that I thought, you know, for me as, as an agent kind of boots on the ground, I have three graphs in front of us that I kind of want to talk about a little bit. And then you kind of wrap all this up and what's going on in the economy that's pushing all this. And so first graph that I have um, that I really wanted to mention is that this year or this year we have currently in this, this last May, 488 houses for sale. Last May, we had 962, which we considered that very low for our market. But now we're at half of that. Um, and so obviously, we've got some supply-demand stuff. Um, our inventory is down from having about two months worth of inventory to having less than a month. And our days on market are about 54 days compared to 70 of this time last year. What in the world is going on globally or, or nationwide that's causing all these things in West Texas? So I'm glad that you mentioned supply and demand. So let's start there. So obviously everybody understands the pandemic, we're coming out of it. What happened was that you had a lot of people get stimulus, a significant amount, right? And you had a lot of people that did not spend as much because they were staying home for whatever reason, maybe scared. You had a lot of people working from home. These are the people that didn't lose their jobs. So the lower income individuals lost their jobs there in the leisure and hospitality industry. But the other individuals were able to, you know, get through the pandemic unscathed. Well, they get this stimulus in roughly about 8000 to 10000 per household, depending on how many kids you had, et cetera. And anybody that's earning $150,000 or less, they're getting this stimulus. Okay. Well, the Federal Reserve has done research and they found that people are, they spent roughly 26% of it on consumption. And whenever I say consumption, that means that they're buying goods and services. So that's your demand side of it. And if you're only spending 25%, you're saving a significant amount. Now that 75% that you're saving could be used for paying down debt. It could be also put in savings as well. And what that does is it sets you up for something that you probably wouldn't have done before, the ability to buy a house. Your credit's much better situation. You have the down payment, et cetera. And these are people, a lot of them, that are first-time home buyers. So whenever you're a first-time home buyer, you're not even putting anything into the supply because you're not selling a house. Right. So it's pure demand. You have all this huh. demand, this pent-up demand. And we see it in other areas in the used cars, sales market, et cetera. We, we see it in lots of different areas. Uh, now that things are getting back to normal, vaccinations have worked wonderfully, you've seen a lot of pent-up demand. People are spending more money. On the supply side, though, so that's the other side. That's the business side. So the consumer side is the demand side. There's so much demand. The supply side, we shut down the sawmills for quite a long time. You shut down things. Well, it's not easy to just 
ramp those up. And so wood prices have been drastically high if you paid attention at all to the news. And that creates a supply chain problem because there's not enough wood, there's not enough supplies to make new homes. So construction's therefore very limited. So your supply is just drastically depleted. So what you have is two things going in opposite directions that both make prices go up. If I have more income, then I demand a higher price, right? I'm able to pay for more. And that's what we're seeing from the stimulus part, the pent-up demand from the consumer side. The supply side, we're seeing a lot of these construction companies not able to supply the homes. Right. So you have almost like, and this is the best example I actually gave it in a class the other day. Um, best example I can think of. It's almost like you have Texas Tech basketball team going to the Final Four championship. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? And then you say, okay, now in the stadium, we're going to cut half the seats out. We have a huge problem, and there are going to be people fighting for those seats, right? The ticket prices are going to go really high. So that's what we're seeing right now, the, this really bad supply and demand problem. Okay. So for somebody that just kind of understood basic supply demand, there should be that that should explain most of it. It, it should. Right and, there. and if you think about it, if I am someone who's going to buy a new home and I already own one, there's a good chance that I'm going to wait until I find my home that I like before I sell it. Because in this market, if you put your home on the market, it's going to sell too quickly. You don't have anywhere to live. <laughs> so you actually don't have that one to one ratio where you're actually adding more to the demand but not adding the supply from existing homeowners. Right. You know, from a interesting, like something as a, as a listing agent, uh, someone that does, does the listings for folks, we've never had sellers be able to ask up front to lease their home back yeah. straight up. Say in, in the contract, we're going to lease their home back for at least 30 days. And there's not, that's, there's no wiggle room in that. Mm-hmm. And so like sellers have all this incredible power um, where they're able to kind of make up for that fact. They get, give themselves 30 extra days. And sometimes it's even rent free, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, it's just a just a unique market. We haven't ever seen anything like this. So, really quickly, if as as an economics professor, I have this money. I now have an ability to do something that I've never been able to do before: is purchase a home. But understanding that prices are inflated, would you recommend people doing this as an investment, or is just now just wait, pump your brakes, so it's going to go back? That's an excellent question, and. I would say, first of all, you, you got to look at your income. And so if you were only able to buy a home just because of the stimulus, that may not be the best situation. Mm-hmm. But if it is something where it just puts you over the hump and now you can't afford it, you need to also take into account that interest rates are lower than they have been in a long, long time. And they're still low. And the Fed has indicated they're going to keep them low for a while. If you were to wait, yes, you may actually see a market correction where housing prices go down but you might lose that in terms of just interest payments because interest rates go two to 4%. Mm-hmm. You could actually not see that gain that you're talking about. And you also have to take into account what are you, what's your situation. So if you're living at a house and you're making payments on your own house and you, to your mortgage, you're gaining equity. However, if you're renting, yeah, prices are inflated, but you're also not gaining any equity from that rent. And there's a good chance your rents, if you have to renew, is going to go up too because these are all correlated. So it's if you are able to, I would recommend you do it. Now, just keep in mind that this is timing and you're probably going to pay more than what you would have or maybe what you would in a year. At the same time, though, 
it's not like you're buying a used car. And that's an area where I'd be really hesitant to say anybody should ever go do that right now because of the hmm. fact that there's the same kind of supply chain issues. But once those catch up, those car prices are going to go back down in value, but you can't turn around and sell your car for anything what it was worth at the time that you paid for it. Sidebar, my wife and I just bought, just sold her car. And the only reason we sold it is because they offered us $2,500 more than what we owed on it. There you go. Wow. And I, it's the first time I've ever left a car thing where yeah. I was in a plus. It exactly. And if you're able to do that and can hold off, that's what I, I would say. But it would not be the time to go to, out and take a loan on a car and then expect to um, get a good deal at all. Hmm. So what is it going to take for home prices to stop rising? Like when will this madness stop? So it will. Um, so you got all that pent up demand, right? And eventually people are going to stop um, wanting to just buy a new house. There's not going to be as many people. They're going to spend their stimulus checks. Those That, that income effect is going to dwindle. But also what you're going to have is the supply chain issues catch up. And we're already seeing that somewhat with wood. It's going down in price. Lumber is going down in price. Okay. So you're going to eventually see it where construction is going to pick up. And one of the problems with the construction industry is they also have to make a certain profit. And so you got to think that if the wood prices, lumber prices are too high, they're not as resident as happy to go out and build a lot of homes just because the prices of selling a new home is really high. They're not gaining that extra profit. Right. So they may be waiting until that goes back down to a certain point. Once that supply gets back to, and for the Lubbock market, I'm glad you brought that up. I was looking at it too earlier. Once we get back to about a thousand homes, eight hundred to a thousand homes for sale, hmm. it will probably, you know, level out. Okay. So when we have the inventory back, should level out. One of the things I'm not hearing, and I, I have not heard this from lenders either. Anybody that that I feel like really knows is that um, I'm not hearing folks say, hey, they're about to raise interest rates. Like, no, I've been surprised by that. I keep thinking with so, inflation, they've got to raise them, but. Well, and so here's where in economics we like to call it transitory inflation versus long-term, uh, long-run inflation. And so transitory just means it's going to go up temporarily and come right back down. Okay. And the biggest worry is this is so new. We've never had anything like this. You can't compare it to the Great Recession. Obviously, you can't go back to the Great Depression. But even in the 80s, you can't go back to that. We've never had anything like this. And let's say they raise interest rates to 1%, 2%, the Fed funds rate. That's what you're essentially talking about. So that's the rate that the Federal Reserve sets for all the banking industry. And it's the rate that the Fed loans, uh, makes loans to banks. And that sets a benchmark. And then everything is set off of that. And right now it's at 0% because they want to stimulate the economy, right? And if they start raising it up, everything else goes up in price. For everything from student loans to mortgages to car loans. If they go up too quick and they're worried about it and there's a sell-off and there's not as much liquidity in the market, it's hard to just immediately go right back down and they don't want to do that. So um, it's going to be, and they've indicated probably a year before they start raising it and they're going to do it slowly. Um, so that's a good indication they're not going to do it right away. That does mean that we're probably going to have some inflation for some time. Um, it's also a weird market, like certain things you probably are going to see go down in prices because people are not wanting to stay home as much. So um, things that you would do at home, I, I can't really think of things that you would do for home. Maybe, maybe Netflix or things like <laughs> right, that right, might, right. might actually see that type of entertainment might go down where as huh. vacations and things like that, that demand is going to shift there. 
So you got to wait and see. Um, I mean, we're only two or three months into getting out of or tr- coming from the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you got to be really slow. And I know that doesn't mean anything if your milk now costs like $4 or gas is going up. You want, you want them to act immediately. Right. Okay. So what about – this has been something that's kind of interesting to me, interesting to me, and that is that commercial real estate during COVID, brick and mortar, mm-hmm. you could have found great deals on it. I mean, people were even, I heard it even on the news, like, oh, brick and mortar is kind of the end of it, maybe, you know, all, everything's going online. So pandemic is definitely at a place where we're feeling like we're making great headway. And so you go back to buy a building now after, after the pandemic and those buildings that you could have gotten great deals on during the pandemic, they've also jumped dramatically in price. What is it about commercial Real estate, I can understand residential, but why mm-hmm. is commercial real estate also, why is there such a demand after a pandemic that kind of shut it down? Yeah, exactly. That is a really good question. And that's that's one where we don't have enough data yet, to, okay. per se. They may just be going up because everything else is going up and they just assume rents are going up. It could be um, correlated more with the income effect. So if businesses are earning more profits, they can absorb a higher price Mm -hmm. if that makes sense it may not necessarily be that the demand's higher it's just that we have more money available to spend so therefore the prices go up um so kind of like this if you you go to places where the minimum wage is higher average income is higher the cost of living is higher too right and that's because you have more money to spend so if you go to new york city it's gonna be way more expensive than lubbock right well that's because the average income is a lot higher so people have more money to spend at every level well, if businesses are now earning a higher revenue, not necessarily profit, but a higher revenue, they're able to pay more. And so you see those costs go. That That's a theory. Okay. It, we'll see how it plays out. Um, I would say if they don't get gobbled up, those will quickly go back down. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like there's a lot of people that are going to say, you know what? We didn't need that really nice, huge office space. Right, right. Um, especially if we're going to have people working up from home part-time why do we need to space so i don't think that one's going to be as sticky as far as the price is going up okay i think it's probably going to go down quicker so we'll balance a little more quickly than, mm-hmm. than residential real estate by far and i guess that was one of the, the the last thing as far as real estate specific that i wanted to really ask and that is what about your investors i know that i, I represent a lot of investors who are out buying rent, rental homes mm-hmm. or uh you flip homes or whatever and, and flip homes become very difficult to find in this mm-hmm. market but um, I have folks that are willing to pay a little bit more for rentals than they ever were. And part of that is based on what we feel like is even coming to Lubbock, which is a wave of rental increases. Yeah. So for my, you know, if I've got friends that are renting right now and they want to stay renting, I'm telling them to lock into as long of a rental as you can at the price you're at. Mm-hmm. Because what, what I expect is that to, to just skyrocket soon. Um, and then even, you know, watching just kind of our, my most recent rentals have been a little bit higher than, than what they were a year ago. So to me, though, listening to both of you talk, if I know that now is a decent that there's I have more money, um, renting is not a great option because you're paying money to people and you're not building equity. I guess I'm con- I'm confused because well I guess I'm not confused I just answered my own question but rental properties that you're talking about 
are they are the people who are buying these rental properties trying to make it up on the back end for the because they overpaid for their property to begin with? Are they trying to make up for it because they're raising their rent, or is that just the climate in in, in the area right now i think that's what they've got to get to justify what they had to pay for that house okay. so like houses i was paying sixty five thousand to buy a little rent house that house that same house is ninety thousand right now mm. so that means my rent you know i could have gotten eight fifty or nine and felt good about it now i've got to get a thousand or eleven and i haven't had a big problem finding people to pay that because again rental prices i expect to go up so what about if you're just an investor and you're looking at rental properties what would you what would you say to them? Is there is there a difference in that in, in general residential? So or? I, I think it's good that you differentiated between the flipping of houses and rental properties. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the flipping market, just get out. <laughs> I mean, sorry <laughs> if you have listeners. No. They're doing that. But I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's almost like, well, should I go buy a used car and then try to flip it? And No, you're not going to do that in this market. That's, that's dumb. Right, I'm right. sorry. You, you can't do that. But you can. What you're talking about is make it up on the back end with rental prices and so you buy a property and you rent it out and then what you could do is rent it out for a few years and then sell it right you know it's not as though if you're buying an investment property you have to hold for a long term you know typically they're holding for two years or more just for the capital gains part of it but outside of that there's no real reason why you're looking 30 years in advance and saying why did i pay so much well if you got your rent during that time period and you made the profit margin you wanted Absolutely. It's a good time, especially like you're saying rents are going up. Flipping a house, that, that's ridiculous because you've got so much expenses involved that are also inflated. I mean, I've got right. to have the materials, building materials, whether it be lumber to carpet, you name it. I've got to have labor that's more expensive now too to fix it. Um, your profit margin is not there. And so right. I don't know, even with the high demand, why anybody would try to do the flip, unless you found just an unbelievable deal. And Another thing that we haven't mentioned is the lack of uh, foreclosures that exist. So during the pandemic, we had so much assistance and we also, we, uh, I said we, but the United States government enacted laws to where you couldn't foreclose on people. Right. And that, that's actually a good thing. It's not like they were made a bad choice in buying a home they couldn't afford. If you lost your job because of COVID, that's kind of out of your control. Right. Well, because of that, you're depleting that supply that we talked about earlier but you're also depleting the fact of homes that maybe weren't well taken care of, weren't kept up, that could that went in a foreclosure where banks may want to just do a fire sale so that you could get something to flip. Mm-hmm. Those don't exist because people were able to keep their homes. And so hmm. you also have that side of it. Yeah. I did have some investors say, okay, I'm going to wait to this over and pick up foreclosures and things like that. And those haven't, yeah. we haven't seen those. And even the ones we've seen have been priced higher than you'd expect mm-hmm. them to be, you know? So was there anything as we kind of, as we kind of get the list through the list of some of the questions I had for you, I know that one of the questions that I, that I had that I kind of wanted to make sure we get to, um, was, is this a bubble? Like, is this something in West Texas, particularly Lubbock that you see it? Okay. This is a bubble. It's about to burst. That's an excellent question. I would say in my opinion, it's more of a market correction. If it, if it happens and prices go back down. So when I think of a bubble, I think of catastrophe. I think that there's systemic risk where there's multiple foreclosures, unemployment goes up, people can't afford their home. Then there's more foreclosures, people aren't spending money, and then they get laid off more because consumption goes down. We're seeing the economy take off. Now, we are seeing inflation, yeah, yeah, because you put a lot of stimulus out there, but there's also pent-up demand. So you're not going to see a bubble scenario where the whole thing collapses 
because people still can afford their homes. And maybe they're overpaying, but they'll be able to afford it. Maybe, maybe they made a bad deal, <laughs> overpaid. Maybe not, but right now in the last month, maybe they paid a little bit extra. Mm-hmm. It's not the, the bubble that we saw back in 2008 or okay. that you would see in the Midland and Odessa market where it's so connected to the oil industry. So when, when I think of a bubble, I think of, well, I have a home that's worth, let's say, $300,000 right now, and I owe two hundred fifty dollars on it. Well, if everything collapses in the economy, there's lots of unemployment, everybody sells their home. Now I can only sell this house for like 230000 well, I can't do that because the bank's not going to allow me to do that because I owe more than what it's worth. Right. That's what happened in 2008. There's just, especially in the California area, there were so many homes for sale and people owed way more and they'd have second mortgages and even sometimes third and home equity lines. And so they couldn't get back what they absolutely had to have. And that's when it went into foreclosure. Well, now, even if it goes down a certain percentage, and let's say hypothetically you couldn't get another job, you lost your job you're probably going to be able to still sell it and pay off your mortgage. I don't see that really happening with millions of homes at one time because right. we have a good economy. Right. That's when you have a bad economy, people can't afford it, unemployment's going up when you have those bubbles in housing. Now, there's probably going to be bubbles in other areas. I think definitely the car market, the, if you are a used car salesman, I don't know, I feel for you because you're buying cars that maybe in a month or two, are going to be hard to sell at the price that you're buying them at. Hmm. That's a hard thing. Housing market, you're not doing that. Right. Know? Shout out to that Carl salesman who bought my wife's car. Appreciate you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're here with Andy California, clearly from California. We're here with James Kemper from Colorado. We're, we're in Lubbock, Texas, all together. What, what are some just kind of things, even outside of real estate, that make um, the Lubbock market a desirable market or what are some things on the other side of that that would be some things that um, concern you just about the overall um, economic climate of the so, little area? Um, truthfully, it's because I would say we're super boring in oh. terms of our economy. Now, that's a good thing. And when I say boring, I mean, we're diversified. We don't have anything that just stands out. We don't have anything that's a huge growth industry. We're not like a tech capital or anything like that. Um, it's a good and bad thing. So you don't have those massive periods of growth of economic growth. But what you see is anytime there's a downturn, like we just had, because you're diversified so much, you're not dependent on one specific industry. Mm-hmm. Midland and Odessa, they're so dependent on the oil industry. They had more people unemployed there than our city. And we have more people, but that's because they had such a big economic driver of sole driver collapse. If, um, let's say the oil industry collapsed. That's maybe a thousand jobs in Lubbock. That's 40, 50,000 in Midland Odessa that work in that industry. If the service industry collapsed, we saw that that's five to 10,000 jobs in Lubbock that lost their people, lost their jobs. That's a lot, but those quickly came back and those are also lower income as far as consumption and I'm not trying to downplay them it's just that we're so diversified and the types of jobs that we could lose aren't really driving our economy so we're boring we're not going to grow really really fast we're not going to grow or collapse really quickly either so, so some steady steady slow growth we we brag about the fact we have a grid system for our roads so <laughs> we, we love the fact we're boring right <laughs> just saying hey boring boring is sexy hey the sexy uh, city in, in nobody the moved States. here because of scenery and i love i love lubbock it's, it's 
this, let's just say what it is. Okay. And it's good. That, From that's Colorado, a good stability. The yeah, low taxes, dependable jobs, it, it's going to be steady growth. So I don't see a boom unless some huge tech companies just all of a sudden decide that they want to take over Lubbock. I, I don't think that Lubbock's culture would allow that per se, but, you know. A Tesla me. plant here would be super cool. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh, we, we asked some of the questions that we had. Is there anything that you kind of feel like, hey, man, this would be a great way to kind of wrap this up, or you feel like we've kind of gotten through everything that you felt like you want to so, talk about? So what I would say, too, is that this is a, a lot of it speculative. So unless you're really, really, really old, you've never lived through a pandemic. And let's just say, like, nobody's lived through a pandemic before like this. And you can't compare it to anything else. And it's happening in real time. So anybody that says they know for sure what's going to happen is probably lying to you. And I know that because I heard so many people saying the world's about to end. And we've obviously seen we're coming out of this pretty awesome. (laughs) I I would say thank you to science and vaccines because that's really changed the trajectory like you hadn't you couldn't believe. Um, I, I am a little worried in the long term about inflation and things like that. But at this point in time, things are so rapidly changing. It's hard to tell. I would say Lubbock's in a really good position. Hmm. So trying, trying to hit a moving target um, is, is kind of what anybody projecting or speculating is definitely doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this was an awesome cast. I know I feel smarter. It's a little hard for Jim to feel smarter, but I, I'm sure he's, he's, he's on the same page with us. We appreciate you being with us, James, and I hope everyone else Absolutely. appreciates um, this awesome information you're going to get on this podcast. Please make sure to hit the like and subscribe, share with as many people as possible, and stay tuned for some more amazing podcasts brought to you by us, your favorites. James Bob Archer, the new country music star. Mm. Yes. Andy California and James, signing off. Mm.